Legends, my name is Mo and welcome to the Can't Can World podcast. I'm a Royal Marine who is dedicated to optimising human performance and wants to bring you exposure to the fantastic people supporting the same aim. In this episode, I speak to an individual who has cultivated his mindset through dedication and consistency, which led to becoming an MMA world champion. We talk about how he created a passion for making people better tomorrow than today. Episode two, Martin Stapleton. Hey, mate, how you doing? You good? All good, mate, yeah. Mate, it's brilliant to speak to you. It's been a while. I think it was it been about a year since we, since I was up in Rochdale last. Yeah, it's got to be. I'm going to start off by, as I start the shows normally, so what is the best thing that you've done in the last couple of weeks? Uh, well, it's it's been a pretty quiet couple of weeks, right? With uh, lockdown, obviously, we got over Christmas. Um, honestly, the, the best, most valuable thing I've done over the last couple of weeks is just being able to be at home and spend more time with the kids, if I'm honest. It's one of them, in it, with, with the, the lockdown that's come on, you, you've got to, whether you agree or disagree with it, you've got to kind of make the most of what you've got at the time, aren't you? And being able to stay at home and spend more time with my kids is, is more valuable to me than anything. So, you know, like I said, whether you agree or disagree with lockdown rules, that is one positive that's come out of it for me that I've been able to spend more time with my kids. So, yeah, that's the best thing I've done. I've definitely found that as well. But what I found is quite difficult to juggle being at home with the kids and still trying to work and do what your, your business side of stuff compared to having that quality time that you got the opportunity to. I find it's like, I find I'm a little bit more guilty now that I can't do more time with the kids and I'm at home. It's quite like, yeah, it's quite tricky. Yeah. You know? yeah. I want to start off by talking about, we'll put this into context. So do you want to just explain where that decision to join the Marines came from? So, well, I'm from Rochdale, uh, which for those, you know, if, for those not from up this way, it's a, it's a small town, North Manchester. Um, I, I fucking love Rochdale. You, you, you'll hear a lot of stuff, bad stuff about it in the news and you, you'll hear a lot of people uh, slagging it off and stuff because it is quite a rough town, but I love it. Everyone from Rochdale has always supported me and everything I've done. And um, I, I feel I feel like even though it is, you know, it's not the, the, it's not the most well-to-do town, let's say, but the people that live in this town are, are amazing. Obviously, I grew up here up until the point I joined the Marines. My mum and dad both amazing people, both uh, brought us up really well, me and my brother. Uh, my brother's my best friend, so, I've, you know, I'm, I've got no sob story in my, in my childhood whatsoever. When, when you ask about, I, this is something I've thought about recently, actually, when you ask about why I joined the Marines, because I've always, when people have said, why have you joined the Marines? I, you know, I always used to say, oh, for the challenge and blah, blah, blah. And, and it was for the challenge as well, but it was also because, um, like, growing up, I had quite a lot of friends, quite a lot of mates, a good peer group and stuff like that. But I never, I never really felt like I was respected for anything particular, if you know. Like, you know, you've got the guy who's like the captain of the football team, people respect him because he's the captain of the football team. He adds value in that way. Or you have people that are, I don't know, he's really good academically and people look up to him for that. I didn't feel like I, that was ever me growing up. I thought I felt like um, I kind of really never had anything that I was good at, if you get what I mean. I was good at being one of the boys and having a laugh and having banter and all that stuff. But I never had a particular thing that I, that I kind of gave any value like to the world with, if that makes sense. 
And not that I joined the Marines to give value to the world either, but it made me want to do something to challenge myself in a way that people might look at me and say, you'll never do that kind of thing. And again, not to like prove people wrong or anything like that. And so, and like I've never had the mindset of I'll do this and show them or, or, or anything like that. But just for me, um, like more like I, want a, I wanted a really big challenge that would be something that people would maybe think he'll never do that. Because it, it would, for me, that would be the thing that gave me value or gave me some form of respect for being valuable in some way rather than just being one of the lads who's a laugh at weekends, if that makes sense. It does, mate. Where did that come from? Is that just inherent in you or was that something that your family built in you in terms of like seeking challenge or like, because, you know, you just said there that you're just one of the lads and like you hadn't really had that in your life. So where did that come from? What was the... I don't know, mate. I mean, I mean, I mean, inherently, some of it, obviously. Like my dad was in the military; he was in the uh, fusiliers, and, and my mum's very adventurous person as well. So I've always had a little bit of a little bit of adventure in me from them too. Um, but I also think that, like growing up, I kind of shied away from big challenges. If you know what I mean, like I, I did little things like I play for the football team or anything like that but I never felt like I was a guy who could step up to the plate when there was a big challenge or or at that point in my life I never felt like I had took the opportunity to step up to the plate and put myself in a challenge where there's a high possibility of failure and and that was it for me was obviously the Marines is a fucking high sorry I mean I swear on this podcast you never know. Yeah, it's a it's a fucking big challenge, right? So, and um, obviously, when when you're applying to join the Royal Marines, people are like, "You'll never do that." It's this and that. So for me, that was it. That was the big time to step up to the plate and 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 less gobbing off and more doing. You know. Can you remember what it felt like when you were on the train? I assume coming down to the station, like Limston Station, or the days preceding that. What the what your thoughts were. Talk about pick a big challenge. You know, they're in a lot bigger in terms of contrast from your life to where it was and where it was going. You know, how did that how did that mindset of yours able to cope essentially with that decision? So I, I was quite lucky. Uh, one of my best mates growing up, Wayne Shayla, he actually joined on the same day as me. Do you know Shayla? Yeah. South Major. Yeah. Uh, so, so me and him, Obviously, we grew up together, went to school together, same football team, got the same birthday. My house and his house was 400 metres away from each other growing up and all that. And uh, we applied together, did the same PRMC together, and we joined the same recruit troop together. Mad how it turns out. Eh? But we actually joined together, so we travelled down together, and we had, like, the few days beforehand, we were always bouncing off each other, so we were very lucky in that way. It was, it was, rather, it wasn't quite as frightening an experience as I imagine that some other people would have had. But then you land at Limpston and you get off that train, you get off that platform and you've got, <laughs> you've got that DL screaming in your face and then all of a sudden it dawns on you that, shit, I am on my own here. You know, there is no one can help me. So, yeah, that's, I'd say that's how it was for me. It was like before and I was more excitement and bouncing off my mate a little bit and then the second we got there, it was like, what the fuck is this place about? Shock of capture. Yeah, because I mean, on your PRMC, PRMC is obviously very physically diff difficult and stuff. But you, when you get to the end of it and you pass it, they give you a slap on the back and they we can't wait to see you in basic training and all. You go away thinking you, you've already done it, don't you? 
and then you can't wait to get back and you're thinking it's going to be the same and then you get there and you realise you're on the bottom rung of that ladder. Well, do you want to explain what the PRMC was? Yeah, so the PRMC is, uh, I think it stood for Potential Royal Marines course, which is like three or four days of an absolute beasting where they, uh, they're trying to see who's got the potential and who hasn't. And you know what? The unfortunate thing with that is you, you lose a lot of people who have actually got potential or just for some reason on that week either didn't show it or didn't pass a certain criteria or whatever. But that's the way it is, mate. And um, at the end of the day, in the Royal Marines, we're trying to build soldiers. We're not trying to um, build footballers or athletes or fucking influencers. We're, we're trying to build robust soldiers. So that's the way it is. And that's the way it must be, unfortunately. And how did, how did you find training as a, as a whole? What was your biggest takeaways or things when you reflect on that process Anything that stands out in terms of personal development for you? Yeah, yeah, very much so. Um, like when we first started basic training, obviously I was uh, really young. I was only 17 and pretty skinny, pretty small. Wasn't really anywhere near as athletic as the other guys. I've been training quite hard to... Uh, Not much change now then. What? <laughs> hey, mate, listen, just because you're 16 foot eight. <laughs> <laughs> 16 but, foot seven. Uh, sorry, mate. My apologies. But uh, yeah, yeah. obviously I, I joined up young, small, skinny, inexperienced, done nothing in life really. And and then first, the first few weeks, it's one of them, and it got down there and I'm thinking, there's no way I'm going to do this. You know, fuck, everyone's going to be right. I'm, there's no way I'm going to be able to pass this. What the fuck was I thinking doing this? And then as you start just like, just switching off to, the negative thoughts or even the positive thoughts and just start focusing on getting the jobs done. Because when you first be, be, uh, join up in basic training, they actually say to you, don't, don't they? Like, do not think of this as 32 weeks because if you think of it as 32 weeks, you, there's no way you can, like, your mind cannot process that 32 weeks because you're living in this moment right now. And if you try and think of each of them moments lasting 32 weeks, it's impossible. And they try and tell you to, you know, to take it day by day, step by step. And it was after a few weeks that that actually kind of settled into my brain. Started thinking, yeah, I need to stop thinking about I'm not going to be able to do this or next week or next month or whatever. And I need to just focus on right now, what this job that I'm doing right now. And obviously, as the weeks and months get back go by, you get better and better at that, of staying in the moment and focusing on whatever task you're doing. And then that builds up and it builds momentum. And then I remember, like, there was foot and mouth disease when I was in basic training, so we couldn't go on Dartmoor. So they were using alternative training areas, and they actually took us out to um, Virginia, West Virginia, to do part of our basic training. And we went out there for three weeks. And uh, I remember getting to West Virginia, and we went straight into three weeks worth of exercises back-to-back. -back. So we were, like, Monday to Friday in the field, Saturday, Sunday off, Monday to Friday in the field, Saturday, Sunday off, Monday to Friday in the field. And obviously, before we got there, we're all shitting ourselves three weeks in the field. That's honking when you're recruiting it because it's dropping. And um, just being able to rely on that mindset, just getting through the next five minutes, the next 10 minutes, the next hour, the next day and all that. I remember about halfway through that kind of three-week period thinking, oh, shit, we've nearly done it now. And I didn't feel like I'd done much and I didn't feel like it had been that hard compared to what we'd done in the past or... It was, obviously, it was more, it was harder, it was more tests, it was more physical, everything has been progressed a little bit, your map reading, your, your soldiering, all that, all that stuff has been progressed, so it is harder, but I didn't feel it was harder because 
I was focusing on the important stuff, getting the important bits right. And that's kind of when it actually sunk into me that I'm, I'm actually becoming a Marine. I'm actually becoming a, a soldier. Really. I'm just folk, I'm just doing what they said to do. You know, these experts who've been doing it for years, don't focus on 32 weeks, just focus on whatever you're doing right now. I kind of realised, shit, yeah, I'm actually doing that. I'm actually applying it. Without, without putting too much thought into it, I was actually doing it. Got to that point where I've, you know, yeah. It became a habit, basically. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it became a habit and it didn't take much thinking about anymore. And that is something that I probably, genuinely more, probably speak to people about that every single day. Not necessarily using the the um, the Royal Marines or using recruit training as, a, as an example, but I probably speak to people every single day about focusing on them, on being in the moment, living in the moment you're in controlling the things you can control and forgetting the things that you can. I probably speak to people about that every single day. And for me, that's probably the most important thing that anyone can do to progress at anything in life and, you know, start living a happier life or more successful life. And it's also probably the number one thing that people fail to do or fail to address. With no, no fault of their own, it's just that, Number one, they even don't know it. They don't realise that they're obsessing about some future that might never happen or that they're obsessing about some past that's already happened and is gone. It's not that... You know, either they don't know or a lot of times when it's been pointed out to them and, and they are aware of it, they don't start to develop that skill or they don't, they don't see it as important enough because it's not cool and it's not flashy to just focus on living on the, in the moment, living, not focusing on what you're doing. It doesn't sound like a massive leap or it doesn't sound like something that's going to give you massive gains in the future. What it genuinely is, it's the foundations of your house, you know. I love an analogy, but I suppose it's like... Uh, Love's a good analogy. High-pressured high football game, penalty taker. The penalty taker walks up to the spot and he's thinking about scoring the goal without even the ball placement or the step backs or... The, the mental rehearsal and where he's going to place the ball and then the run-up and he's thinking about the goal and then he'll miss. You've just described a perfect scenario there of someone like trying to do a, like a, a world-class achievement, score a penalty in the World Cup final or whatever, yeah? And again, that skill of living in the moment, that skill of staying focused on the things that matter, the things you have control over, it seems important in a scenario like that because on a world stage for a... What doesn't seem important for people is to do that on a daily basis, on the little tiny choices they have on a daily basis, you know. So it seems like, oh, yeah, I'll do that when I get there. Or I'll, I'll, I'll do that when I'm, you know, for, I'll use fighters for an example. Yeah, I'll focus on, you know, I'll be in the zone on fight night. Well, let me tell you, if you're not in the in the zone in warm-ups, if you're the guy who's always looking at the coach to see if he's noticed your shadow boxing cool, or if you're the guy doing funky stretches just so that someone sees you doing them and you get the pat on the back. If you're on, if you're that, if that's you in training, that will be you in the fight. And like, even take fighting out of the, out of like the line, just day-to-day -day habits of people. If they can't do it on the general day-to-day -day habits, you know, I'm gutted about this. I can't do this. I can't do that. But there's a million things you can do and you have control over. If they can't develop that skill on the day-to-day -day habits, They've got almost zero chance of developing it when it matters on the big things. And, and that is like 
like I said earlier, something I talk to people about daily. And people probably get bored of me saying it because they probably think, oh, well, he's not telling me anything different from yesterday. Well, that's because the skill that we talked about yesterday might take two years to develop, might take six months to develop. But if you don't start it right now, you'll never get to that point. So, that, so that what, makes sense? Yeah, absolutely, mate. I think it makes complete Did sense. Did I waffle on that? No, no, not at all, no. No, 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 not at all, mate. Um, so why do people find it so difficult? I mean, it, on, the, on the face of it, it seems like quite a simple thing to do. I think that's why it's so difficult. I think that's why it's so difficult. People usually want a magic pill more. Um, and, and I don't say that in a derogatory way as well. Oh, he's just looking for a magic pill. It's just the way society is. Everything's instantaneous. Instagram, Facebook, everything's done immediately and people want payback for it immediately, as in likes on Facebook, a pat on the back, they want immediate payment or just someone saying you've done well immediately. That That's the way kind of human nature wants. They want that payback like, autonomously almost. And for something like developing the skill of focusing, being in the zone or developing the skill of controlling the things you can control, forgetting about everything else, it's not something that people are going to come up to you on a daily basis and say, well done about because they're not going to even know you're doing it. It's a skill that you're developing in your mind. And a lot of the times it will feel insignificant because there's no big prize. There's no like, oh, yeah, you just focused on what you needed to do today. Let's give you a gold medal. That doesn't happen. It's all like it's internal. So the only person that gives you the pat on the back for it is yourself. And then it, because of that, I think, because it's so simple and there's, there is no pat on the back and it isn't into instantaneous like people like it's very difficult for many people to understand the importance of it does that make sense mate yeah I, th I think it does and i think it's really important to know like to try and understand why it's so difficult if i was to say to someone spend the next 24 hours living in the moment focusing only on the things you can for you need to focus on only on the things you can control just do that for 24 hours and you will win that world title that you want to win. They would be like, fuck yeah, I'm on it, because it takes 24 hours. If I was to say to them, do that for the next 10 years, and through doing that, the process of that journey will lead you towards your title, it seems like an unimportant, I'll just forget that, I'll just do training, I'll just eat clean. I'll do what they don't understand is that that is the foundation of it all. Do you know what I mean? It's a long-term thing. I think that segues neatly back into what you originally said about marine training where yeah you got 32 weeks if you focus on that 32 weeks it's too much it's quite overwhelming but if you're focusing on the here and now and you're just getting out of bed every day just next minute next hour next meal time sleep get up again and all of a sudden the week's gone when i was in basic training there was a south african guy now recruit troop and i'll never forget the guy as long as i live because he was a unit mate he was called trail aching kid and uh if trail if you Listen to this. If by some magic reason you get to listen to this, uh, hit me up or something. Mate. I'd love to get to know you again. Uh, this guy was a machine, mate. He was probably six foot one. I mean, built like a brick chicken house. You know, he was a, he was an athlete, and um, he was top of everything. He was about twenty seven year old. He was a bit older than all of us. Um, he was a beast. He was best at pull ups, best at rope. He, he literally looked like a bodybuilder, but he was as fit as a marathon runner. Um, he was the best at yomping he was the best in the field on all his shit it's annoying isn't it when people are yeah, like that <laughs> and everyone was like Jesus man this guy's the he was like the section commander for everything 
and um, he was the top of everything. And we got to the end of week seven, gruesome twosome, which is like the most honking exercise ever. And then we got back to the grots after it, and he was like, that's it, I'm done. And I was like, what? And everyone, literally everyone was like, what are you talking about? You trail, you've just smashed it. You're the top, you're probably the best recruit that's ever walked through these doors. And he was like, yeah, but I can't do that for another 20 odd weeks. And like, it was like, ah, oh, mate, wounded because like, just, just do today. Just do, because every today that you've done has been amazing. So if you do today again, you'll do it amazing. And if you just keep adding them todays up, you'll do amazing. But he was like, nah, I can't do another 20 odd weeks of this. It's, um, I've had enough and I'm going. And, and without sounding like too soft or whatever, he, he, that guy's not a quitter. He's not a quitter. He's, he was a very, very mentally tough guy. He was the guy that you would want on your team. Like he was, the, he was a guy that I would want in Afghanistan with me or on the mats or whatever. He's not a quitter. So people might think, oh, well, he quit. He's, he's not a quitter. He just didn't have the grasp of that concept of how well he's doing when he focuses on what he's doing. And that if he just kept adding them up, he'd get there rather than focusing on the whole thing. Um, so he's not, he wasn't a quitter at all. He just didn't quite have the grasp of the concept we're talking about. Do you think that Roman's training prepared you for the the career that you had in, in, the, in the Marines? I, I, I genuinely say this, and I don't, think, I don't know how things have changed now. And I don't think they'll have changed that much. I think um, all the old boys like to say, oh, it was easy nowadays compared to my day and all that. So... When I came back to train recruits like seven or eight years later after I passed out of basic training, I think they were training just as hard as we were. There might have been certain things in there like you can't do anymore because society doesn't allow that. But the tests are all the same, blah, blah, blah. So I'm assuming that the training they do now is is just as good as it was when I was there. The training that I did as a Royal Marines recruit in the year 2000, fucking 21 years ago, mate, that genuinely for me I, I think everyone should go through that I think it prepares you for life in all manner of in all manner of things like whether you want to be an athlete whether you want to just go home and be happy in life and work with your family the lessons you learn in that I genuinely believe if you spend the time obviously the loads of blokes that we know in the core that maybe haven't spent the time to reflect on that and draw them lessons out and use them in their life but I genuinely think if you do spend that time, it, it'll it'll prepare you for anything you want to do in life. It's it's the most important thirty-two weeks of my life because that has literally laid the foundations for everything I've done since. You went many places in your career. You completed the physical training instructors course, which, having done it myself, that mindset is absolutely required and needed. Yes. <laughs> Gopping, yeah. And it's it's basically like the PT on basic training, but on steroids. Yeah. And I mean, how did you, did you find that, were you more comfortable with that course or did you find it equally as challenging in terms of mindset or, you know, how, how did you, how did you fare on, on that? Physically, obviously the, the physical elements of the course are just way beyond anything I've done in the past uh, because they just are and they should be because you're, you know, you're a physical training instructor in the Royal Marines. You should be all singing, all dancing, leading by example. So the physical aspects were much harder than anything I'd done in the past. The mental aspect of it, I was well prepared for by that point. Um, I was I was confident by that point that I would pass any course I was put on. No matter what it is, you know, as long as I wanted to do it, which I did. 
I was pretty, I was confident then that you could put me on any course and I'd pass it. That's not because I thought I was anything special or anything like that, because I, I genuinely didn't. I've, I've met loads of better Marines than me, but just, I just felt equipped. I felt I had the, the right equipment to do it with, the mental equipment and physical equipment and the skills and knowledge that I picked up and experience. I just felt I could do it. So physically, it was a lot harder and obviously more draining on your body and you're exhausted pretty much for 24 weeks. I mean, that, that is a different space to be in. Yeah. That, that, that course is significantly physically harder than basic training. Yes. Yeah. In basic training, you arrived and there was not necessarily doubt, but there was a little bit of anxiety to know what's going on. There was maybe a little bit of vulnerability. You didn't know, you know, and it built you. You go on a significantly harder course and the belief that you had in your own ability it's amazing to see in, in a fairly short space of time, you know, we're not generations here. We're talking a few like years. Um, it's really interesting to see how that, how you would have grown as a person to go on that course and say what you've just said. Well, it, mate, it's even the little things that, that, that people don't, or you take for granted. Like for instance, when you first pass out of basic training and you go to a commando unit and you're, you're like the duty sprog, aren't you? You're like, your first six months, you're just hiding in your bedroom, aren't you? You go down to, to lines, you fall in, you do your thing, whatever you do, and then you think, right, get the fuck out of everyone's way so I don't get pinged for a shit job or the lads don't take the piss out of me or whatever. And you, you and you're kind of like a little hamster for a little bit, aren't you? Just like, no, please don't look at me, nobody see me. And then when you compare yourself, like maybe a year later, when you're strutting around camp in your lower boots and you're fucking having banter with people, you know, half the lads on the camp and all that sort of stuff, and the confidence that you've just built and the, the same with the other lads that are around you at that time. It, it is a fast process, isn't it? Going from like that, like you say, that, that vulnerable young guy who's kind of like, oh, you know, to 12 months later, you, you may be ready to be in charge of a fire team or something. And that takes confidence. I'm interested to know um, about your Afghanistan exposure because that's a different type of challenge. That is not a course it's it's is about yourself absolutely but that's a different concept altogether how did you deal with preparing to do something like that and what did you have in place to be able to overcome any sort of psychological barriers in terms of performance when when you when you go to a place like that so first first of all i'd say that I was, I was lucky in two ways. I was lucky in the way that by the time I went to Afghanistan, I'd already co had quite a lot of experience on operations. Like, obviously, I was on the first Optelic over in Iraq and went back to Optelic in Iraq again later day. I've been uh, Northern Ireland. So I had quite a bit of operational experience, as well as all the other stuff like in Norway and America trips and all that. But I had, I had that operational experience anyway of being in war zones and being in kind of conflicts and all that. So I was kind of comfortable with it as, as much as a weird thing that is that that is to say I was quite comfortable with being there uh, the second way I was lucky is that the, the, the lads that I had with me as like my MOG commander again I won't use his name I'll call him Grandad he probably know he'll, he'll know it's him you probably know it is as well <laughs> it, it was and he was probably the most influential soldier that I've ever met on me personally he was like he was our leader he was our MOG commander and he was just the bollocks a really, really good soldier, really down to earth, really approachable, really firm when he needed to be. And I, and I just kind of, I've got this like, Reedy taught me 
And when I was on my PT2s course, he says, like, you know, if you go to a new unit or whatever, or you're in a situation like that, ping the best bloke that you see is dealing with the situation best and just go, I'm just going to copy what he does. So that's what I did. I just thought, whatever granddad does, I'm going to do. However he deals with problems, I'm going to do it. So I, I was really looking for for them ways. I had a really good role model and team around me. And I also had uh, all that experience from the past to help me. It wasn't like I was scared going there or anything like that. I mean, now that's really important. So having a team structure around you, supporting structure, and being able to rely on the people left and right, and you're you know, I'm, I think that's incredibly important to habitual self-belief and doing the small things and the simple things, focusing on here and now with a support structure around you is probably starting to form an equation of of being able to perform and excel in what in, in anything that you put your hand to. Yeah, yeah, I, I believe so. I, I definitely believe that's or or, or give you the um, give you the foundation that will lead to the opportunity to be able to do because because we're not all going to be the best at what we want to do either you know if i want to be an astronaut i'm probably not going to be an astronaut at 37 years old if i decide today i want to be an astronaut i'm probably not going to be the best astronaut in the world or at least having them found foundations in place will give me the best chance i could have to be an astronaut if i wanted to be one do you get what i mean and it yeah. probably give me the best launch pad I used an astronaut job there. <laughs> like it. It gave me the best launch pad if that's what I wanted to do. Uh, it's un, it's unrealistic to think you're going to get everything you want, you, you know, at all times. I want to win the lottery. I might not win it. But it is it is a good habit to get into, to, to set yourself off on whatever challenge you may take, whatever, you know, whatever endeavour it is that you take to, to do those things like we talked about. And I think that leads me on nicely to my next point. I mean, we can talk about Afghanistan till a whole other show in itself. But the bit where I really want to, I'm really interested in that. I don't think we've ever spoken about just because of the way, you know, the way that it's been is you've had, you've got this team, this family, this identity, this ethos, values and standards that you hold dear to your heart. You have been to a war with that team. You have laughed and cried with this team and you've got friends for life and then you then say to yourself i'm leaving yeah um difficult man difficult so i was kind of at the point in my career where like i never chased promotion you know that i never i never chased promotion or I never chased um i was never really interested in being promoted or anything ranks never interested me experiences interested me so like i always i just wanted to there was things i wanted to do in the marines rather than ranks i wanted to get to if that it does that does that make sense um so i, I kind of always put my name anything that sounded exciting or adventurous to me i always put my name down for it and, and did it and again i felt i feel like i was really really lucky so i did 12 years in the marines and, and i loved every minute of it i never had a bad draft every draft i had was good and I always put in for a draft. So, for, for instance, when I put in to go to 40 Commando, I put in for that specifically because I knew they were going to Iraq and Norway. A draft is um, is an assignment, isn't it? You get Yeah, so like two years, yeah, like two years at, at that 40 Commando. I knew they were doing them two things. I knew they had Iraq coming up. I knew they had uh, Norway coming up. So I, I, I put in to go there, not thinking it was going to come off, and it came off immediately. I was like, well, that was lucky. I get to go and do them things now. 
and, and again, other people might say, well, all back here because you'll probably get made up to lunch, Jack, and then you'll get your corporal's course at four, if you stay at 4-2. But I wasn't really interested in that. I was interested in doing things rather than having rank, uh, you know. And uh, I've, throughout my whole 12 years, I, I always kept that mentality of just going after the experience and the adventure rather than the rank or the the money or what 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 people might have assumed as being right for a promotional standpoint. So by the time I got to the 12 year point and, and I had this opportunity to, to leave and, and I'll, we'll talk about that later in a bit. I got to the 12 year point and I felt like I'd done everything that I wanted to do in the Marines. So I, I didn't, I, I'm not saying I've done everything in the Marines and I'm not saying I've had any sort of spectacular career. Cause again, there's loads of blokes done shit tons more than me. What I did in the Marines is a grain of sand in, in the, you know, on the beach compared to what some blokes have done. Like granddad we're talking about right now, you know, that guy's done a million times more than I have. But I felt like I'd done everything that I wanted to do. I'd got everything out of the experiences that I wanted to have. And also, obviously, it was quite clear Afghanistan was coming to an end and it was quite clear the country or the military was going to be skinned and we weren't going to be going on any ops for a while. So it, I'd got to that point in, in my career in the Marines where it was, I've done everything I felt like I wanted to do. I got all them experiences. And I was at the point in my professional MMA career where I think I'd had, when I left the Marines, I think I'd had six professional fights. I'd won five, lost one. So I was kind of just starting out on that. I was nowhere near doing, there was, there was hundreds of experiences in that area that I wanted to have. And it was kind of a now or never thing because, you know, I was 27 at the time. Or, or 20, no, 29, sorry, or 29 at the time. So it was like, well, if I hang on another five years, I'm probably going to be too old to make a start doing those things. Um, so, yeah, the, the choice was either keep doing something that I feel like I've already done what I wanted to do in, or I've got on the other hand something that I've not done what I wanted to do and I've got opportunity to do it, but it's now or never. So there's, there was the balance, wasn't it? Because this this hand over here that's all the experience I've done is a fucking heavy hand, mate, because that's the one where all my, my mates are. My life is, like you say, my identity is. So it was a very difficult decision. But obviously, like, I've got my wife at home who's always supported me in everything I've done. For, for me, that that's, like, massively valuable because I always knew that, if I if I do if I do leave the Marines and I pursue this career of being an MMA fighter and it all fails, then it doesn't mean that I've failed. It just means that I failed at that one particular thing. And I'm and again to be honest, mate. It's like we spoke about earlier. I've never really been scared of failure I'm, since since recruit training. Since I joined recruit training and learned the ways of the Jedi, um, I've never I've never really been scared of failure. So as much as it, it was a it was a what torn me is the fact that I was going to leave the lads behind and leave that, leave that kind of group, that team, that that. I don't want to say the word gang, but it almost is. It's, that, it's the lads in it, um, and leave that identity, leave that day to day behind because there's a lot of there's a lot of good stuff in that day to day. Do you know what I mean? There's a lot of valuable stuff that you that you once you leave it behind, you look back on it and you think, "Fuck oh, me, man! I remember those days where where we used to get up, do fizz with the lads, me and Ginger stick up." Fucking haggis in the microwave for dinner would have a bitch. You know what I mean? All that stuff is is it's my it's value, you know. Some of those stories, right, that from the day-to-day -day stuff that we used to do, like 
tying you up, for instance, on your twos course and spraying your head to toe yellow, <laughs> that kind of stuff. When I tell them stories to people who've obviously never experienced that, some of it's just insane to them and it to, to us it's day to day. And when you when you do leave that and you look back on it and you do find yourself telling them stories to people, you look back on it and you think, man, that that was that was pretty insane the way we lived and what we did. Um, and probably you're still doing now. <laughs> no comment. No comment, mate. But um Can you explain what that offer was? When I left, I didn't have a particular contract with any um, organisation. I'd already had, like I said, I think I had six pro fights at the time. And I, I just decided that I wanted to make a, a full goal going professional. At the same time as that, I started speaking to a couple of friends of mine about opening an MMA gym. And then Dixie Dean got involved and he, he got us in touch with some guys that were potential investors and stuff like that. And it, um, and it, it kind of went from there. So uh, there was me, my friend Oggy and my friend Derek who opened the gym together. And what, what gym is that? Full Contact Performance Centre. Yeah. So we opened... Since then, I, I, we, I've kind of branched off and uh, it's, it's now it's the same place and everything. But my, my part is now just the martial arts bit, uh, is, which is SPG Rochdale. Um I, I don't have anything to do with the commercial gym side of things anymore. Um, and that, again, that, that was another thing that we just talked about where it's like, Jesus, how do I wear this up and balance it? But I, I just felt like my value and all my time had to go into martial arts because that's what I do. That's what I'm best at. And that's all I wanted to spend my time doing. Um, and I'd never, ever want to be the kind of guy who like promises something but doesn't deliver. So for me to continue being part of like the, the gym side of things was very difficult because I wasn't delivering. Um, I wasn't having anything really. I wasn't one of the coaches in the gym. I wasn't really interested in progressing the gym side of things anymore. I was just interested in being on the mats because that's where I give my most value. You know, I can go and do a PT one-to-one -one with someone about bicep curls and stuff. It, and it, it has very little interest for me. It, it in martial right, hard one to say this, but in martial arts, or hard one to explain, in martial arts, even if I'm teaching someone an armbar, which you might think has absolutely no link to the outside world or gives no value to what they do on the streets because they're probably never going to armbar someone on the streets. I hope they never are. The way in which I teach it or the way in which I try to teach is what adds its value. Um the, the struggle, like getting over that little bit of adversity. And that little bit of adversity might just be the fact that you've not got your elbow tucked in. It might be three inches of an elbow movement. But if you spend the next six months trying to get it, and I can, and I can show you that little bit, and you come over that adversity, and then you can relax, stay composed, do it again next time and make that little improvement. For me, that's like a seed, and it, and it just grows into the rest of your life. That, that mentality of knowing that it's not that you're doing something wrong or you're incapable of doing something is that maybe you just don't quite know what to do yet or you, you can can't can't can will kind of mindset that you're talking about for me that's the value that i can bring to people and i i do that best through martial arts so i just wanted to put all my energy into that if you get what i mean yeah absolutely so you you, you mentioned there where you hadn't had any contracts you left for the business this business opportunity, which is an unknown, but you wanted to be a professional fighter. So how did that how did that what's the story behind that? How did that happen? 
So, well, I'd, al- I'd already had six professional fights at that point. You know, uh, Pete Jordan was obviously the Sat Major in the Marines and Bo Beauchamp as well. And they were both like, yeah, go on, have a fight if you want. <laughs> I think it was, I think it was like, you know, it was all pretty hush hush back then. There was no Royal Marines BJJ team or anything like that. It was all pretty hush hush. But I had some really good blokes, Sean Lerwell as well, when he was the boss, had some really good blokes above me that were kind of like, keep it on the quiet. But yeah, you could go and have a professional fight. It'd probably be them that got in the shit more than me. But yeah, they let me do it. So I was quite lucky that by when I was leaving, I mean, I, I wasn't, I was leaving to be a professional MMA fighter more than anything. Um, and the way MMA is, it's like, there's no governing body really in the UK. Um, so when you leave, it's just a matter of, or when I left, sorry, it was just a matter of um, contacting all the promotions, all the different promoters and saying, look, I'm ready to fight. Here's my record. What have you, what events have you got coming up? Can you get me on? And uh, yeah, just went from there, really. It's really cool. I've got a mate you can Wikipedia. It's great. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you've done, you fought on many different promotions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I remember seeing your ugly mug on the TV because you managed to get a break with the UFC. Yeah, the Ultimate Fighter. Yeah, yeah. Sees it. It was 16 years since since um, UFC Ultimate Fighter won yesterday. Wow. How yeah. how the how did that come about? You know, you sat at home, you get a phone call, or was you like, how did that work? So basically, what happened is the UFC advertised on all the because like back then there was no Facebook or there might have been, but I wasn't aware of it back then. No one in the MMA scene was on Facebook by then or social media. What there was back then was forums. So there was like the Cage Warriors forum. So everyone who was in, involved in MMA was on Cage Warriors forum. And, and um, you had like a, a username, what do they call it, a handle and all that. And, and you, you type stuff and put messages back and forth. And UFC started advertising on all the UK boards, like forums saying that we were bringing the ultimate fight. It's going to be UK versus U, U, USA. And then they started advertising about the trials. So it was like they did a, tr- um, a couple of days worth of trials down in London. Yeah, I think you had to register beforehand and then you turn up. And, and that was literally it, mate. I seen all that and I thought, yeah, I fancy that. Well, I went down and did it. And again, like I was saying earlier, I've never really been scared of failure or anything. And I, at the time, I didn't have permission to do it by the Marines, but I'm a big believer that it's always easier to get, um, you know, once you've already done something, it's easier for them to say, yeah, go and crack on than if you ask them beforehand. Forg- forgiveness over permission, you mean? Yeah, exactly. That's the one. I was trying to think of the words, but I'm fine. <laughs> so I just went and did the trials. I just went down and I did the trials. Um, it was like, you had to grapple a couple of times. You had to hit pads. And Dana White's like literally walking around. And as, as he walks around, if anyone does, when you're grappling, if he doesn't like what he's seeing, he'll just go, yeah, go home, go home. Cheers, mate. Thanks for coming. Literally like a cheers for coming. And then you're hitting pads a little bit and he's just walking around tapping people on the shoulder saying, yeah, cheers for coming, mate. And it just whittles it down and down and down. Pretty ruthless then. Yeah, pretty ruthless. Yeah, but again, it has to be, doesn't it? It's not, it is what it is, you know, and it's not personal. So anyone that takes it personal should really uh, go back to that mindset stuff we were talking about earlier. But um, yeah, so we get to the end of that. And we all go home and, you know, you know that you've done well by that point. You've had an interview. There's maybe, the day maybe started off with a couple of hundred people and ended up with about 30 of us. After that, what happened was pretty crazy, mate. So I, I've gone home saying, yeah, I did well, this, that and the other. And I'm expecting an email off them or a phone call or whatever. It never came. And thinking, oh, Jesus, man. 
fuck. And then um, my phone kept ringing late one night and it was like, it was either a Wivel number or it was like a dialing code that I didn't recognise or something like that. And uh, I just kept, I never answered phone numbers, I don't know. So I'm just killing it all the time, killing it. Stop ringing. About half ten at night and I'm sat with early and then gets about 11 o'clock and it's still ringing. So I've answered like, who's this? Do you know what I mean? Judy Rochdale bloke answer. Who the fuck's this? <laughs> I was only young as well, so, you know. But um, I was like, who's this? And this woman starts talking. And, and at first, I thought she had a Geordie accent. So I'm trying to, like, place her. I'm thinking, why is, why is some Geordie woman? You think it's Lordy? Yeah, I think you're <laughs> Lordy winding me up. Uh, yeah, so I'm, like, trying to place it and all that. And then it, I put two and two together. I'm thinking, oh, she, this is American accent. And she's going, yeah, I'm such and such. I'm from the UFC. I went, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, shit. And I literally said to her, I said, I nearly put the phone down on you again then, love. <laughs> but that was it then. So I spoke to her and they invited me out. For the, he had to do another trial then, which was a week long. So we all went out, done that week long trial. In, in the States? Yeah, yeah over right, in, yeah. in Vegas, yeah. Still didn't know if you passed or not. You came back and then a little bit later, they got back in touch with us and invited us out there. And then that's when it all started, where I had to start going getting permission. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. So how was that experience? I mean, it's a TV show, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so when you're at the gym, it's not a TV show. It is, the cameras are there, but when you're at the gym, it's... So th this is a part of my life where I'd say I kind of lost that focus of of focusing on what's important and what's not. Because when you're at the gym, it's training. You are training for a fight. You know, the, the coaches are, the lads are there. It's, you know, when you get back to the house, it's a TV show. It's a reality TV show. The cameras are in the front of your face. They're trying to get things out of you, trying to get you to say or act in a certain way. Not They don't come up to you and script things and say, will you say this? But they're sticking a camera in your face and they're asking you questions about like, you just finished training, you just want to have something to eat, chill out for an hour and then go back to training later on, maybe sleep for an hour. And they're asking you, so what's it like at home? What are your feelings about your mother and this, that, and over? And you're like, fucking what? You know, to start with. And, but then you get drawn into it a little bit and you and you kind of forget what's important and what's not. And you, you that, that time when you should be reflecting on your training, recovering and focusing on your next session and all that. You start to interact with cameras and interact with the TV, and you and you you lose focus on what's important. Or I lost focus, should I say, on what was important. Um, so it was a good learning curve for me on on that sort of thing. And um, looking back on it, it's a really big lesson that that I'm able to take forward for, with myself. You know, it's really interesting because throughout this time we've been talking about overcoming small hurdles, creating habit, discipline with that, having a team around you. But it sounds like another valuable lesson that you learned was about the environment you're in as well because yeah. you, you had all the, all that stuff the the, yeah. the pillars shall we say and your environment changed so if if i would have been there with I, I, I can't remember i think there's eight lads in each so 16 blokes yeah if i would have been in there with 16 marines i know my mindset would have been different because the tv it would show been, would have been better as well yeah a tv show <laughs> would have been they wouldn't have been able to put it on her though but uh and I know that it would have been a different thing altogether because it would have been me as a Marine, being professional as a Marine and, and being who I am as a Marine or who I was as a Marine. And I, I, I kind of made the mistake of thinking that I left that at the gates 
Like that was who I was when I was in the Marines. And when, when I came over to, because I was still in the Marines at that point, but when I went to Vegas, it was like, people don't want to see that. That's not who I am. I'm, uh, you know, I'll kind of blend into this environment a little bit. Whereas now that I'm older and I can look back on it, that's exactly what people would have respected me for or, or, or people would have, or not even people, I would have given more value for and, and got more value from, but I didn't. And again, it's a great experience for me to, to be able to look back on. Do you, re do you regret that though? I mean, no, I, no, no. And I, I, I say that, I say that because of, you know, potentially what was, well, what was at stake, a USC contract, you know, and it's like, it's not a defining moment, but it's a big, it's a big deal. There's an opportunity there. Oh yeah, yeah. And and, I can, and it's very hard for people to understand this because I, I always, I've been asked that question a million times, obviously, and um, no, I don't regret it at all because the, the lessons I've learned are more valuable to me than the UFC contract would have been. So if I, if I would have won that UFC contract, there's there's nothing to say that I'd be sat where I am today having this conversation with you. And there's nothing to say that I would have been, I would, that might not have been, the UFC is just three letters. People again, I've got this misconception. If like if they're a UFC, they're an MMA fighter, and they get in the UFC, they've made it. I know loads of blokes who've been in the UFC and not made anything. And, and I'm not talking about money either. I'm talking about they're uh, just made it in life, being successful, being happy. If I would have got in the UFC at that time, I don't think I was ready for it, and I don't think it would have led to where I am now. I think um, I think I would be in a worse position now than I would have been if you get what I mean. The, the lessons that I learned by making the mistakes have given way more value to my life and, and and also put me in a position to give more value to other people's lives, the people that I coach and stuff, then if I would have won that and got in the UFC, I'd probably have three or four fights, won a couple, lost a couple, been out, and then so what? You know, you're a, you're a flash in the pan, you know, but, but through them failures that I had and, and the lessons that I got to learn, I've, I've been able use all that to, to push people in a different direction that, than I did and use all that to help other people become better and also use it to make me become better as, as I've progressed through my fight career as a coach as well. So what, what lessons were they? Can you give us some examples about that? You know, when you reflect on that period and you know, it's fantastic that you've just said that, you know, you don't regret it. It's part of what's happened in, in, in your, in your personal history, your professional history. And you go, you know what, I'm going to learn, I'm going to learn from that. That mindset in itself is a is a skill to have. Yes. But yeah. what but what but what lessons did you identify? Like what what was it that you thought? You know what? I'm going to use that and I'm going to try and help me or other people to maybe not make the same mistakes. So number one, and most importantly, is the one we've already spoke about, mate. Is focusing on the important things, focusing on the things you can do rather than things you can't do, focusing on the things you can control control rather than things you can't control because I like I say when I was on the ultimate fighter that's what I did I focused on the things that I had no control over uh, I focused on the things that I thought people wanted me to do rather than the things that I should do all that so number one and again people are going to listen to this and think I'm well boring because I'm saying the same thing I said an hour ago trust me if anyone gets to know me I'll probably say it to you for the rest of your life and I'm saying it to myself for the rest of my life as well but that that is the number one lesson of all of it that's where it all starts uh, number two lesson that, I, that I'd say is, is self-belief because earlier on we talked about like doing my PTIs course and I had no kind of I wasn't scared of failure or I, I knew I'd be able to pass it not again not that it was easy or it was fucking probably the hardest 
time of my life physically, but I just knew that I was going to be able to do it. I knew I, was, I knew I had the I was equipped with the right skills and resources and experiences to do it. When I went to the Ultimate Fighter, I didn't have that feeling because at that point, even though I'd had I think I'd had three professional fights at that time, I wasn't really a professional. On paper, I've had three professional fights, but I wasn't a professional. I was training maybe four times a week with proper MMA guys. The rest of the time, it was in in the Stone Gym at Limpston doing fucking, just making myself well-conditioned and fit and um, doing pads with my mates or stuff like that. I wasn't really a professional. I wasn't I wasn't a professional athlete. And when I got the, and when I went to the Ultimate Fighter, I, I knew all this and all the other guys that were there were guys that I looked up to, like your Ross Pearsons or your Andre Winners and that. These are guys that I followed. I looked up to them, that they were where I wanted to be. And when we got there and I was speaking to the Americans and that was the same with them. They were all guys that I kind of look, looked up to and I wanted to be them. And I kind of didn't believe in myself because of that. I, I felt like I was an amateur going there in a group with, and they were all a big group of professionals. Do you get what I mean? Whereas the reality of that, that wasn't the case. I was just as good as any of them, like in training and on the mats and stuff. And then because this is another another lesson moving on from that one, because when I got there and I kind of found on the mats, I can hang with these guys. I am as good as them, blah, blah, blah. I kind of found different excuses for myself to not be as good as them. Do you know what I mean? Like um, telling myself, oh, well, and this is a subconscious battle as well. People will probably know what I'm talking about. But even though you're hanging with them, you're doing really well on the mats, I'm still questioning, like, yeah, but on fight night, do I know what they know? I've got the experience that they've got. They're all proper pros. That's all they do for a living. I'm in the Royal Marines for a living. I'm doing this as a hobby. And all the questions were coming in were, in reality, if, if I'd have applied the, the lesson we talked about earlier, controlling the controllables, focusing on the things that are important, I would have known that none of that matters because when the cage door locks, all that really matters is your skills and his skills. It doesn't matter about the crowd or the the people observing you from home or doesn't matter what you did or didn't do in training or what you haven't haven't done before it all that matters is you and him and their skills your skills and his skills and that's it and if I would have focused on that instead of all the rest of it I'd have burnt up so much less mental energy so much less I wouldn't call it exact anxiety because I don't feel like I've ever had anxiety but overthinking maybe and under underestimating myself overestimating other people so those are kind of all the lessons that that I've learned from that. That talking about like people having belief in themselves and, and and like cutting out the outside noise and that. Right. So a couple of weeks ago, I watched um, on YouTube, and if people get a chance to watch it, you should watch this. It's a little video of Habib uh, Namagamedov training from when he was a kid to where he's at now. And it goes through all his childhood and, and like not in any depth, but it shows him out running in the mountains and it shows him wrestling with the burr and it shows him on the mats as a little kid and training as it is a teenager and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, running in the cold and the wet and stuff. And they make it dead Rocky Four type of theme and all that sort of stuff. And you watch it and you're looking at it and you're thinking, yeah, man, this is a guy who believed in himself from when he was a kid and he put that work in. And, um, you know, he, he, he did demos and then miles in the mountains and he did all that and, and even back in them days when he didn't he didn't know that he was UFC world champion possibly the best lightweight ever he didn't know that then but he was still believing in himself that it was going to get him somewhere he didn't know where but he knew it was going to get him somewhere right and then when you watch that 
and I watch it, and it's very inspirational to yourself when people start, and, and you, you look at it and you think, oh, look at Habib, look at how much self-belief he had. And the, but if you break it down, mate, if you break that down and you forget about the big mountains and you forget about the rain and the, the, the scruffy clothes he was wearing because he was very poor and stuff like that, and you forget about his wrestling with a bear, you cut all that out of the picture, he was just a young lad with a bit of a dream who just trained hard every day and just got on with the stuff he did every day, right? And there's lads around my town, there's lads in my gym that have got every single bit of potential that Habib had, right? If they only realise that. So Habib's out running in the mountains every day in, you know, like I say, scruffy clothes and, and you look at it and you think, wow, what a hardcore guy. That's no different from some kid from Rochdale with a pair of Nikes on going for a run around the streets around here. It's just a kid doing the bit of training that he knows that he needs to do to get him where he wants to be. doesn't matter if there's mountains or clouds or rain or sunshine. It's just a young lad putting the work in for some, to get somewhere that he doesn't know where he's going to be yet, but he knows it's going to get him towards the goal he wants. So, like, he can have a double, like a double-edged sword. When people watch videos like that about Habib, for instance, they'll watch it with one thing they'll be looking at, it really inspired me, what a guy, he's a legend, Habib, which he is. But on the flip side, it, they'll also be thinking, oh, I don't know if I've got what it takes to do that. I don't know if, look how much he sacrificed out running in mountains and blah, blah, blah. You don't need to be running in mountains. You just need to be running. You don't need to be on the mat with 500. I don't, you don't need to be wrestling with a bird. You just need to be out wrestling. You, you, you know, you just need to be that kid that Habib was. Eating you know, all the mountains and stuff. That's just where he lived. It's just that fortune made him live in that place or unfortunate, whichever way you see it. He ended up living in that place with the surroundings that he had. I'm sure if you would have took, the, took, took Khabib with the same mindset as a kid and made him live in Florida in the palm trees and beautiful sunshine, I'm, I'm, sure, I'm sure he'd have been the same kid and he'd have still been out doing them miles and still been out running and still been out wrestling out every day and stuff. It, the environment and the like, the stuff you see on YouTube and all that, it doesn't matter. It's, it's not You can't change it. You can't do anything about it, you live where you live, you are where you are, but the one thing you have got the control over is the fact that you're going to get up in the morning and go and do it, go and do the work, put the work in. So it's a kind of double-edged sword, and, and like I, I talk about this a lot to lads, because I've got lads in my gym that I've got 100% belief that they can be every bit as good as Habib, is if, if they're willing to put the work in that he put in, and if they have, they're willing to believe in the journey, the way he believed in it, and that's a big if. And to but like to to get to that if, to get to that point, you have to chip away at all them layers and realise that it Habib was just a young lad training hard, and that's all he did. You know, it's it's not all he did as in it's easy, it's not easy. That guy put some work in. But that's all he did. You don't have to worry about the mountains and the rain and the scruffy gloves and the fact that he had such a struggle or whatever. And and conversely. You don't have to worry about these guys that, that like, like I said, live in Florida. They've got a real nice sunshine. They're just out running. They're just doing the work. They're just getting on with the job to get them where they want to be. The rest, the rest is just noise. It doesn't matter. That that kind of mindset. So I'm always trying to talk to guys about in my gym, especially. I believe there's a lot of guys out there that have, have got the potential to be just as good as Habib's. Five years ago, people wouldn't have probably thought Habibi's going to be where he is. I'm using him as an example just because when I watched that video the other week, but it's it's the same for anyone in life. Just just do the work. Just put focus the energy where it needs to be. I mean, it's fair to say that in the same vein as you've just discussed 
about chipping away. I suppose the experience in America was that chipping away because you you went from there and used that exact that experience to for success in your professional career. I mean, yeah. you went on and, and, and won a title um, and went to do some really great things. I mean, I suppose it's fair to say that your your life up until that point was about learning to get where you needed to be. Yeah. And, 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 and then, like you said, the chipping away bit, is you get to a point where you realise, so I read a quote this morning, actually, in a, a, one of the books I read, and uh, it says, um, it's vanity to do with more that which you could do with less. You know, it's, it's vanity to do with more that which you could do with less. So that's the chipping away bit. You know, the, ch the chipping away at the noise that the, it's not about more. It's not about having more or knowing more. It's about doing, doing more with less or chipping away at all the outside noise and narrowing things down to it's like more simplest form, if you get what I mean. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And how did you feel? So you were Bama champion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. How, how did that feel winning that title after the setbacks that you had? You had some losses in your career. You've the America, and then you've won the title. Won a title. How did that feel afterwards? What was that like for you? At the time, at the time, not not amazing. Like um, so, it's interesting you say that because I thought you would have gone. Yeah, it was really good. Yeah, I mean, no, I mean, at the time, Carl Tanzo was like was still with us at that time, and Carl, Carl for those who don't know, was like the the head coach of SPG UK. He, he was my head coach, and um, he's since passed away. And he's probably the biggest influence on myself in martial arts um, and the mindset towards martial arts. And he's probably a lot of people disagree with me on this, but I don't really give a shit about much, <laughs> especially about this. But um, he's probably. I'd say I had more of a huge influence on people in martial arts than anyone else I've ever met in martial arts. Um, and again, some other people's experiences will be different and they disagree with me and that's cool. Uh, but from, from my experience, that, that's what that guy has, has had. So at the time, Carl was with me and he was massive on this mindset stuff we've been talking about, as in like whittling things down to to what they actually mean and what's necessary, getting rid of the unnecessary, making things. It's a bit of essentialism, if you would. So at the time, although, yes, I did want to win the Bama World title and I did want that accolade, it, it was never just about that. That was just a part of the journey. So we won, obviously, we won the fight and we won the Bama World title and we'd we done it pretty, pretty well. You know, we won it in the first round. And on the night, I was made up and everything like that. But the day after, it was back to back to work. You know, it wasn't like let's have two weeks second pick. I don't, I don't think I've got. We, I did a couple of days after I won the title. We we had a day at the gym where we let like all look like kids and stuff come and get a picture with the world title belt and all that. Cause I thought that was pretty cool. Apart from that, I've got no pictures with my belt whatsoever. I've never had another picture taken with my belt. Oh, sorry, I've had one for a photo shoot um, of that one picture which is my um, Instagram profile picture you'll see. Apart from that, I've never had any other pictures done with my belt. Uh, that's it. Because from that point on, it wasn't about that belt anymore. That was done. It was in the past. It was now something that I can't or can change. It was gone. And it was 
what next? What what does that lead me to? I suppose like a chapter. Yeah, that, exactly. That, because winning that title was a close of the chapter to get the title. Yeah, and exactly. The next, mate, the next yeah. one yeah, opens yeah. to see where that then goes with the title, which is different. Exactly. Which is which is a bit of a crazy thing. Uh, and, and I'll try and explain this as well as I can. Because at the time, yes, I felt like I'd, I'd had a big achievement and I'd won a world title and stuff. And I can always say that now forever, you know. But at the time, I, I didn't really, it didn't really mean all that much to me because I don't think on the, like, even if I won the UFC world title tomorrow, on the grand scheme of things of what have you achieved in that will never, ever compare to having my kids. And it will never compare to having a Green Beret in the Royal Marines. Un- if I won a million pounds in the UFC world title tomorrow, it would not mean as much to me as my Green Beret means to me. Not because it's harder to get or easier to get, just because me earning that Green Beret and doing the things that we did in our time as Royal Marine Commandos, especially like 2000 to 2012 kind of era, was a special time, it was a special thing that, not many other people have ever have experienced and never will. So, again, I, I said this is uh, hard to explain. So, at, at the time when I won the title, it, although it was something I was aiming for and it was an achievement, it didn't. It wasn't like the be all and end all to me. Now, it's changed. It's still not the be all and end all to me. But now I've had the time and I'm a bit older and I get to look back on it and reflect. Now I appreciate time, the effort, the energy, the work that it, that I had to put in to get there. Because while you're getting there and you're putting that work in, you're not thinking about it. You're on autopilot. You're doing it. And you should be because that's where your mind should be at. But five years gone by and I'm looking back at it and I'm thinking, shit, I, I did all that. Me and Carl did that. Carl, you know, Carl was there every step of the way with me. And I was thinking, when I look back on it now, I'm thinking like, I, I did that. I, I have got the capacity to do that kind of work. To, to, to put in that kind of effort. So now, and, and that's that's been, especially the last 12 months where we've been on lockdown and we've, we've had time to reflect on stuff, it's now it's become more of a, more of a driver for me than it was back then. Because now I'm looking at it thinking, well, I know for a fact I'm a way better fighter than I was then. I'm, technically, I'm way better. If, if I fought the guy that won that world title, Technically, I would wipe the floor with that guy. I've got a few more injuries than him. I've got a few more bumps and bruises because I'm a few years older. But I think physically I'm better as well. I think I'm a lot stronger now and stuff like that. And then when I look back on it and fit, I know that when I was that guy, I had the capacity to put that kind of work in. And I know that I've still got that now. Now it's kind of a way that I can... Like back then, I didn't appreciate it, but now I appreciate it. And now it's a thing where I can sit there and go, like, I can do better than that. Not that there's anything wrong with what I did, or not that I need to do better, but I know I can. I know I can top that. I can do better than that. And I want to do better than that. Does that make sense? Not not from an ego standpoint either. If I do nothing else in my life, I all make no other achievements from today. I'm happy because I've got, like I say, I've got my wife and kids upstairs, and, and that's what makes me happy. But I want to, out of loving the sport and loving a challenge. And does that make sense? So your fight career still still open? Is it like? Yeah, I mean, obviously I was supposed to fight on Cage Warriors in March. I made weight, done the fight camp, made weight, and then my opponent pulled out on the day of the fight. 
which was heartbreaking. Then we, we talked about fighting again in July, but obviously lockdown came and all that sort of stuff. And then throughout last year, I've not really been able to put a... Because Cage Warriors have actually run a couple of shows, but I've not really been felt where I've been able to put full time and energy into it because I've... Well, same as everyone else that owns a small business. I've been uh, spinning the plates to try and save the business and keep it surviving. But part of that process was also making the business run smoother, making it run better, so that all the problems and challenges that we faced as a business don't keep occurring. And I feel like I've used last year, and I feel like the start of this year, and my wife's been massively instrumental in that because she's helped out loads. But I feel like now we're at the point that when we are allowed to reopen and we do relaunch, I can focus again on, on being that fighter who, who who won that world title and I like I said before I already know him 10 times better than him technically and I know physically I'm ready so yeah my, the plan will be I would like to fight again maybe April time May um, I considered the fights on Cage Warriors behind closed doors and all that and at first of all I thought nah fuck that I'm not doing it because a big part of what I do is like the support and like the community, uh, that, again, that, going back to when we were speaking earlier about this town, Rochdale, like every fight I have, people from Rochdale follow me everywhere, you know, and that's not me. I'm not giving it the big end. It's, we've just got such a good community in, in this place and I don't want to give that up just for the sake of having sneaking a quick fight in. So I don't know if I want to, it depends how lockdown goes. If it's going to be locked down till May, I might end up having a behind closed doors fight. If that's not the case and they're allowed to have crowds and they say like, oh, crowds will be back in June, July, I'll probably wait for that because I want to have my people there with me. I want to be able to perform in front of the people that have supported me through my whole career. Yeah, and I keep my fingers crossed for you that that happens yeah, um, because, nice because I know lads travel across the country to come and see you to support you and I know that means a lot to you, which is fantastic. Hey, Jules rocked up in fucking California. Jules, mate, Jules like WhatsApp me. For those who don't know, Jules is a, a lad we're in the Marines with absolute legend. Jules, like, WhatsApp messaged me. He always WhatsApp messages me. And he's like, I'm coming out watching your fight. And I'm like, yeah, nice one. It's in California, you know. He's like, yeah, yeah, of course. Be. But it's the old duty message, isn't it? You think there's no way you can expect someone to travel to California. And he's waving like, in the crowd. He's like, what? <laughs> Jen, about two days before the fight, I look on my WhatsApp message off Jules. Bro, what hotel are you in? I'm like, I told you, mate, it's in Fresno, California, mate. Don't worry about it. He's like, no, nah, I've just got off the plane. I'm in Fresno now. Which hotel is it? I'm like, are you in Fresno? He's like, yeah, I'm in Fresno. Where are you? He's like, Jen, get there. And it got straight down to the hotel, spent spent the rest of the week with us, and you know, in the hotel and then the fight and all that. What a guy. What a legend. But again, just going back, sorry a minute, just for your viewers that might not quite understand or might not, but that, that's what it, when you were talking earlier about the brotherhood and the camaraderie within the Marines, that's that's what you're talking about, that type of bloke who's just going to go drop off a hat. Yeah, I'm coming to Fresno to watch my mate have a scrap. You know, that's the type of bloke and that's what makes the core what it is, isn't it? No, absolutely. Um, and, that, and that's why we've loved being being in it. It's, it's, it's an incredible um, family environment, uh, a home away from home. Same type of bloke that will shave your eyebrows at the drop of a hat. <laughs> yeah, true. And I need to make sure these don't ever get shaved off. Mate, I mean, it's fair to say you've been a busy boy because, you know, the the things we've discussed is about 
your self-development and we and you I know you're a massive family man as well and we haven't spoken about that but the last few years you've really invested into your coaching and in coaching of your fighters and I mean that is that is something that I mean you've just discussed like the the wealth of experience and knowledge in the setbacks that you've had how how are you finding coaching with 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 your guys and what is that experience like are you more nervous than you were when you fought Tons more nervous. I'm way more nervous when my guys fight than when I am way more nervous. It's not even close, man. But the job is to get that work done beforehand. Right? You know, like we were saying earlier, we can't turn up on fight night and then say, right, this is what I want you to do, X, Y, and Z, and then expect him to go, yep, no worries and do it. The job is to use the weeks and months beforehand preparing him for that without him knowing, you know, getting him to do certain things in a certain way. Um, getting him to, you know, focus on certain things at certain times. Like, the job is to try and get him there because, like, training for a fight can be difficult as well. It, it can be a, a time where your motivation goes up and down like this. And, like I say, I've had 30, 30 odd fights now in different countries and, and with different outcomes and for different titles and different, and sometimes in a kit, in a bloody boxing ring, in a workman's club. So I've, I've kind of experienced all them ups and downs, highs and lows, all that sort of stuff. So I know the way it goes and I know the way motivation works as well. Um, so like the, your job as a coach is to kind of guide them along that journey without knowing, if you know what I mean. So you try and see it ahead of time when motivation starting to dip or when people are starting to peak and that sort of thing. And um, try and give them what they need at the right time when they need it because like everybody everybody wants to do pads with the coach everybody wants to do pads with the coach but it's not always the necessarily thing to do or, or or the right time for it like there's a right the right and a wrong time for things and um like sometimes and people wouldn't like the fighters wouldn't like to hear this but some, sometimes a fighter, the skill that they might need to develop right now more than anything else might be what we've talked about today. Might be the folk being able to focus for three, five-minute rounds without doing a bit of looking around or seeing who's watching them or letting the mind slip somewhere else. So, so with that guy, me doing an hour's pads with him might be wrong to make them actually a worse fighter because it's coach-led, it's me telling them one, one, two, hook, roll, cross, uppercut, whatever. What might be more valuable to that person might, at that point in their career, at that time, is me trying to teach them how to focus. Or tell you what, three, five-minute rounds of shadow boxing without losing your stance, without moving out of stance. That's an extreme example, obviously. <laughs> but it, it's about balancing them things of, of uh, when to do what with them. Everyone thinks it's like a... Do jiu-jitsu twice a week, wrestling twice a week, striking twice a week, spar once a week, hit pads and run. Boom, done. That's not the case. Everybody's different. You've got some people that are super focused, like um, use Jamie. Jamie Kelly's one of my pro fighters. Jamie's like super focused. If I was to say to Jamie, I want you to shadow box for the next three hours without losing stance and without looking over your shoulder to see if anyone's watching, I guarantee that's all I'd need to say to him. And he would then shadow box for three hours without any distractions because he's at that level, that mental level of being able to 
take on information and do it and just focus on the process. Not everybody's at that level at that time. And, and it's not a level of ability or and it's not a level of potential either because just because someone's not at that level at that time doesn't mean they haven't got the same potential to get there as Jamie or potential to do as well as Jamie. It's just that that's not what they need at that time. So like with Jamie, I'll do a lot more stuff where we're doing drilling pads, skills work, adding new skills in because again, I know with him, he'll, he'll take it in, add it. That's no part of his game. Other people, we might it might take longer to develop them skills or I might not even focus on developing them skills in a one-to-one setting, I might want to see them intrinsically develop them skills in a in in the group setting without the distractions and and talk to them more about becoming less distracted and more focused, and then develop into doing a bit more one-to-one work. Or do you get what I mean? So it's about kind of plotting the journey for someone, and everyone's individual. So you've got to treat everyone the same as a coach, as in the rules are the same. You're either show up on time or you're late, you know, you either put the work in or you don't, you know, and I'm, I'm black or white with that sort of stuff. You know, if people aren't putting the work in, I'm going to tell them they're not putting the work in. I'm not going to soak them off or anything. It's just to tell them, you know, you are doing what's required. You are doing the right thing to keep doing what you're doing. The results will come. Do you enjoy coaching? Yeah, 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 yeah. I, th- I think it's what I'm best at. I think I've had, I think I've led quite a diverse life with the experiences that I've got through the Royal Marines and the, the, the experiences that I've been fortunate enough to get through mixed martial arts as well. Being in the, A lot of that was being in the right place at the right time, getting on the ultimate fire, getting contracted to Bellator, getting contracted to Bamer and Cage Warriors and stuff like this. And all the experiences I've done in Marines, I, I think my biggest skill in life, so like even in MMA, you know, and this is, again, something I've been thinking about a lot this year, a lot more than any other time in my life is like what what's your big what what's my biggest skill in MMA? And like I, I'm never going to be a UFC world champion. I'm not going to be Habib Nurmagomedov, and I, I don't want to. But I can be a massive influence on someone else's life through martial arts. So I, I can using my experiences. My best skill is to communicate them experiences to other people. That, does that make sense, right? And martial arts is the best way for me to do that. So that's why I love coaching so much because it allows me to do that. It allows me the opportunity to use my mistakes, all the mistakes I've made and all the good stuff I've done as well. There's a few of them. Um, more mistakes though. But it allows me to use all that and communicate it to young people and other people in, in Rochdale or around Rochdale or anyone who comes to my gym to help them become a little bit better version of themselves. A little bit better, whether it's whether they want to be a UFC world champion or whether they just want to use martial arts to get a little bit more confident or a little bit more self-aware or whatever it is, they give me the opportunity to do that. And that's why I love coaching. Oh, fair play. Mate, I think it's been a fascinating um conversation. I've loved it. Your lads are absolutely lucky to have you as much <laughs> as I know as, as, a, as a coach. Um, and I know that the, the family at home, they, they love you as well. Thank you very much for talking talking to me about your experience. Thanks. And I hope, and I will, let me rephrase that. I know that people listening to this will be able to take some a lot of what you said. And it's not just about the fight game, it's translating that into their own lives as well. Appreciate that, man. And more, I really appreciate the call for coming on this. Um, the, the, when, you, when we spoke before you came on, and you, you were explaining the, the can, can will kind of philosophy, mate. I, I, I like it. I really like it. So well done for that. And uh, been good to catch up, mate.
Cheers, mate. I appreciate it.